this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or for anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is taken from Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 to 11. It's the basis of the sermon at First Free Methodist Church on February 12, 2023. This is the sixth message in a series called Value the Difference, which focuses on the unique values and at times peculiar values that Christians hold that is, form, that, uh, is in every way a form of our witness in the world as we live out these peculiar values each and every day. We turn to a famous children's story from the Bible, but as we're going to learn, uh, this is a complex story about Jonah, and it is filled with what I would describe as very mature uh, messages for all those who are people of faith. Let's talk first before we turn to the text that begins at chapter 4, verse 5, about how we got here. Jonah was a prophet in the 9th century BCE. He was a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II. Now, at this time, the nation of Israel had split in two. The two southern tribes formed their own nation state called Judah, and the ten northern tribes had created their own nation state called Israel, Israel and Judah. Jonah was a prophet in the northern territory, the ten northern tribes, now called Israel. At the time of Jonah's work, it was a little more than a hundred or so years before the Assyrian Empire would come and conquer the uh, northern nation of Israel in 722 BCE under the leader of the Assyrian ruler Sennacherib. And so even at this time, the Assyrians are a looming shadow over much of the ancient Near East, and this would not be lost on Jonah, that these Assyrians... Uh, you know, reflected a a threat to the very nation of Israel and its existence, at least at that time. Now, one of the chief cities of this Assyrian empire was Nineveh. And God was asked, Jonah was asked by God, pardon me, to go there to proclaim a message of repentance to the citizens of Nineveh. So he, from the very beginning, displayed reluctance at making a proclamation of God to what would become, and in some ways, actually was their enemy. So the story that follows is about how Jonah ran from that call, how he took the sea on a boat, tried to to row away from the problem. Eventually, he was thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, spat up on the shore, and then he went to Nineveh and proclaimed the message God had sent him to share. Now, when he arrived at Nineveh, he probably arrived on the western side of the city, did his work of proclamation throughout the city, then exited to the east. So he had left the city by the time we get to Jonah chapter 4. Because of the work Jonah did, because of this proclamation of repentance, God relented from the uh, originally proposed destruction of Nineveh. God has seen their repentance, the fruit of their turning away from evil, and has decided to uh, no longer destroy the city. This is all part of the narrative of Jonah trying to to unpack for us what happens, that when when these individuals in Nineveh repented, uh, God relented, if you will. So in chapter 4, verse 1, it opens uh, 
with the strongest statement of displeasure you can actually write in the Hebrew language. It says, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Those words in English in chapter four, verse one, aren't even strong enough. It's the strongest way an individual could say how angry and upset they are. And this is exactly what's happened to Jonah. The, the people of Nineveh have repented and God has relented from the destruction he was going to bring on the city. And Jonah is angry about it. So much so that he tells God in verse two onward that essentially, I told you so, God. Why would you have me do this? I told you this would happen. It's exactly what Jonah said, and he resents God for sparing the city. And so God's rhetorical question that comes just before our reading, beginning in chapter five, is simply this. But the Lord said in verse four, do you have a good reason to be angry? It opens up a key passageway for us, even as we walk through the story of Jonah up to this point, that Jesus's command to love our enemies means to seek their wholeness. This is the issue that Jonah could not reconcile with from the very beginning. He could not see why. His resentment toward the Ninevites comes to a full rage as God has chosen to spare them. And so our posture toward enemies isn't to be one of ignoring them or just dismissing them. According to Jesus's command, we're actually to seek the benefit of our enemies, to love them as God loves them. Now we turn to the part of this reading that's properly part of the scripture that we're using for the sermon in uh, February on the 12th and also part of this podcast that begins at verse 5. It says, Then Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. And then the story goes on to talk about this plant that God causes to spring up next to Jonah to give him shade. And then a worm comes in and begins gnawing at the stem of the plant, causing it to wilt and die, and now yield no shade at all for Jonah. And so Jonah becomes even more bitter and angry at that point, so much so, he says in verse 8, that death is better than life to me. We call this, verses 5 to 8, the plant episode, that Jonah leaves the city by the east. Remember, he probably entered it from the west, and he exited by the east, And he goes out east of the city and he builds what is called a tabernacle for himself. It's like a hut or a tent. These huts were common to the Israelites. They would build these small huts in the vineyard, usually uh, as a place to take refuge from the sun. Often the walls were made out of wood, but sometimes they were made even out of mud or uh, with the equivalent of an adobe brick. And then they would have like a leafy roof on them to be kind of a temporary shelter so that they could get out of the heat of the sun. Now, his choice was to wait in this little hut he made to see if the city would be destroyed. Perhaps God was wrong about relenting from the destruction of the Ninevites. Well, after a period of time, these small huts only covered with leaves and branches would begin to wilt in the hot sun. And as they did so, they began to provide less and less shade. So here it is that God causes this plant to spring up next to Jonah. It's a big plant. Probably uh, scholars think it's some kind of gourd or something like it that sprung up with large leaves that was able to give Jonah some shade, even as his own provision for shade was beginning to disappear. Now, in verse 6, it says that 
he rejoiced over the plant. And, and Jonah was overjoyed about the plant. Now, in contrast to the language in verse 1, which Jonah says, it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry, the strongest way you could write displeasure in Hebrew. Verse 6 is the strongest way you can write about joy in Hebrew. So these two verses kind of stand next to each other, verse 1 and verse 6, that Jonah was angry about what God had done, but he was overjoyed about this plant that sprung up to give him shade. Then this worm attacks the plant the very next day, and it began to wither in the sun. There's the likely here, uh, which is uh, something called a scorching east wind, and the sun began to, to beat down on him, and it says that he begged to die. I mean, Jonah is out in the middle of the desert when this entire story takes place. And it's somewhat ironic because Jonah's story is filled with the dramatic. If you begin reading in chapter 1, verse 1, all the way up to this point, this isn't the first time Jonah's wished to die. He literally throws himself into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea on his own death wish, uh, trying to escape from the storm and then ultimately swallowed by a fish. So this isn't his first threat at dying. But it opens up a key passageway to us here. And it's hard for us to hear. It's this very rich and deep adult theme in this book that brooding and self-pity draw us inward and away from divine love. You see, Jonah really is an apout here. He has reluctantly followed God's call to Nineveh, and he resents the work and the fruitfulness of that call. So while he sits and he awaits for the fate of the city, which will never come, this plant springs up and then it dies. He can, even in this moment, Jonah can only see his situation and circumstance with himself at the center. He has no perspective of what God is doing. He has no perspective of what God is even like in this case. He has no perspective on the value that's been accomplished through the, the redemption of the Ninevites and their repentance. And what happens is this, is that we need to, to learn carefully that our own brooding and self-pity take the same toll. They deny us vision. They deny us joy. They deny us the experience of love. Love even in hardship and suffering. Jonah's vision becomes so small that he even debases the value of his own life. Jonah's vision shrinks and shrinks and shrinks with the greater anger he has. And there has to be a breakthrough. And the lesson is about to come as God begins to explain to Jonah the lesson of the plant. Beginning at verse 9 through the, the rest of the book of Jonah, we read about the end of this conversation and the end of this book that ends in such a beautifully written way. It says in verse 9, but God said to Jonah, so do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant that sprung up and then it died? And, and he said, Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry even to the point of death. And then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should, not, should I not also have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? See, God asks the very parallel question that God asked in verse 4. When Jonah was enraged about the Ninevites repenting, 
right before the passage we began our study in, in verse 5, it says at verse 4, but the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? And here the question appears again in verse 9. Do you have a good reason to be angry this time about the plant? The question is about the plant, not the city itself. And so Jonah states that he has every right to be angry about the plant because the plant provided him shade and now it's not. And so now the lesson comes, the, the pivotal moment in which Jonah begins to hear from God the very thing that he has been running away from for the entire book. God, com- God points to the compassion Jonah had for the plant that he had nothing to do with. See, Jonah's vision can only see what benefits him or his people, nothing more. God points to the Ninevites even as having no knowledge of what is good or bad, right or wrong. It's like they're, the left hand and the right hand are disconnected from each other. God tells Jonah about the 120,000 people who live there and the animals even that are a part of that city, how they don't know which way is up, right from wrong. And so the, the way that the verse that closes this book is translated in the translation I'm using, it begins with the rhetorical question, should I not also have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people? In Hebrew, the end of the book is actually the question, should I not also have compassion on Nineveh? This book ends with an important question. Should I not have compassion? This word from compassion is an emotive word in Hebrew. It's the description of feeling emotion about something. And it's designed in many ways to be in this text as a comparison against the hard-heartedness of Jonah, that Jonah has no compassion at all. He's completely callous to the flight of the Ninevites, the plight of the Ninevites. He's thinking only of himself. But God is saying, should I not have compassion on them? In other words, don't I feel something for these people that have lost their way? You know, it it echoes Jesus's parable he tells about there's how workers who came to work in a vineyard and some worked a full day and some worked a half day and some only worked an hour, but they all got paid for the same work. It seems grossly unfair. Jesus tells the story of the, of the prodigal son who's welcomed home after squandering his inheritance. This story of Jonah is in keeping with those same stories. That God's uh, essential purpose here is to show Jonah the trap of his own thinking. Jonah has plenty of compassion for himself, but for no other. There's a lack of feeling. And the irony here is that Jonah is described in the text as being full of emotion. Verse one, it greatly displeased Jonah. He became angry. And then down in verse six, it talks about how Jonah was overjoyed about the plant. Jonah's filled with emotion, but the emotion he has is completely driven toward himself. He has no emotion for anyone else. He resents God's salvation of the Ninevites. He hates the outcome. And so the book ends without the resolution. The book ends with the lingering question, should God's compassion be limited. It opens up a beautiful key passageway for us for this ancient book about this prophet named Jonah and the powerful lesson that we have to hear today about it, that God's encompassing love is extended to all, not restricted to some. You know, all might agree in concept with God's unconditional love for everyone, yet When that love becomes concrete, when we see it take on human form and flesh, 
we lean instead toward being favored and special. It's become so easy, especially in the 21st century, to draw the lines between us and them. It's quite remarkable instead to view every human being as loved by God, even those of Nineveh, even Jonah, all people. Everyone is a target of God's compassion. And so being a follower of Jesus requires this kind of generosity and love. And what Jonah is trying to help us understand and what God is speaking to us in this book is that there's no exceptions to that. If you have comments or reflections, I invite you to visit my website, revcraig.com. You see in the upper right-hand corner a button that says News. If you click on News and then the drop-down menu, you'll see the word Podcast. Click on that and then click on this episode and leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. I'd also encourage you to visit ffmc.org, firstfreemethodistchurch.org, our church's website, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.